1: and welcome back to Road of His Overtime and Road of His Radio brought to you by Blue Wire. My name is Colin Kelly. I'm joined as always by Sean Siegel. Sean, we are doing an instant reaction to NFL week one. We haven't tried this before. We are jumping right in, getting into the action, and uh, hopefully we'll have some fun. I mentioned to you before we started that this was a pretty challenging uh, NFL Sunday for week one for myself, Um, but Hopefully when we talk through this, it's going to brighten up my day. It always brightens up my day talking to Sean Siegel. But how is your NFL week one so far with on Monday Night Football, I guess? Good, yeah. I mean, I don't – I spend the day
2: watching the games and not worrying too much about the teams. That stuff will all shake out. The biggest notes and the most enthusiasm I have are for all of those – teams with draft slots in the final third that have some combination of Barkley and Swift. Oh yeah. Because those two guys look like absolute superstars. You look at DeAndre Swift, he kind of got a little bit unlucky every time that he would break off a massive run or two or three huge splash plays. They would put Jamal Williams in just as a breather and Williams fluked into a couple touchdowns that really deserved to go to Swift and I mean, you're looking at a, a monster game if he gets one of those two, Yeah. Even. But I mean, he's, he's just unstoppable. He's the best back in football before contact. He's the best back at getting to the hole fast, getting into open space. He just looks absolutely electric. The most fun game of week one, very oh, easily, yeah. was Eagles-Lions. And that was probably the one I was most looking forward to because we get to see the new look Eagles with AJ Brown. I have to think that Ben Gretch is through it's the roof right now. <laughs> Brown looked unstoppable. Looked like he deserved to be in with that trio of receivers who tended to go three, four, six. Sometimes they went two, three, five. But those three guys also looked utterly unstoppable and i think column the first thing that i would mention is that there's so much talk about not overreacting to week one and there are so many week one columns about this is you know my overreactions basically in part and you know some of it's still let people know don't overreact and some of it's just to be able to say whatever you want and then also say okay well if it turns out not to be true it was a week one overreaction anyway so don't hold me to it which again is all kind of the fun part of that. i'm not criticizing that per se but the thing that was crazy to me is that we saw this game on thursday night they gave us a lot of information about the bills and the rams i wrote a column for friday talking about all of the drafts that would go off on Friday and Saturday and kind of where you should be looking to draft players. I was blown away by the lack of reaction to that Thursday night game. You had players who disappointed and now have huge problems ahead of them. And that number one, in terms of the way that that works where you can either play the guys or not play the guys, knowing what they've scored You had players drafted who weren't going to be able to go into starting lineups for week one, but then also you probably weren't going to be able to start them for week two because after seeing week one, you would need to wait and let them prove that what happened in week one was incorrect or was a little bit of a false signal in order to play them again. The prices didn't move nearly enough. And I think that that's symptomatic of a larger principle which is that you need to react week one gives you a lot of information and so if you can buy high on the players who start in week one then in a huge number of cases that's the way to go with it if you can sell low and get out of some guys who now are in very challenging circumstances you should do that right don't just act like week one oh you know the previously one of the things that we see with player movement up and down boards is that there's just so much we don't know and we talk about all the time on ot and on ceiling bananas about uncertainty and how little we actually know once you get information you have to incorporate it in you can't stick to the prices that we had previously because you were underlying belief about those prices is that there's a huge amount of wiggle room in them or simply that they're wrong. (laughs) So when you get new information, you do need to react. I would encourage listeners to actually change where they have a lot of these players and make the necessary corrections. Don't assume that, that week one just didn't happen or that it doesn't mean that much. It means a ton. You've got to get out there and react to it, set yourself up to be effective now in week two, week three, week four, especially in dynasty leagues, especially in leagues where you can make trades. Because if you wait around for week five to definitively prove that Saquon Barkley and DeAndre are stars, so to definitively prove that CeeDee Lamb was overdrafted, you know, you're going to be sitting there and you're going to have missed out on the backs and you're going to be holding Lamb and thinking, You know, why
1: didn't I just get rid of them before people (laughs) were truly convinced? I think that is very relative. I think what we might do to finish off today's show is a little bit of a rapid fire as to whether overreaction is correct or underreaction. I'm just going to give Sean maybe one word to answer those. We'll see at the end. We might do a little bit of rapid fire. Sean, you mentioned Saquon Barkley. He looked amazing. I mentioned on our predictions, kind of our draft that we did before uh, Sunday's games that. What we were looking for, and I can't remember the exact stats, but I was looking for kind of, you know, I think I said six receptions might have been the number, either five or six. He had six receptions, 30 yards. He had 18 carries for 164 yards and a touchdown. He could have had more. He looked so, so good. When we look at these players, like he he looked all the way back. That might be an overreaction, but he looked as good as I think we could have hoped he looked. So very, very exciting for that. Another player who looked... As good as we could have hoped was Jamar Chase. He had 10 receptions, 129 yards, and a touchdown. And another player then who just went berserk. Fortunately, it was against my Green Bay Packers, was Justin Jefferson. So there was a lot of those high-end wide receivers, obviously, with Cooper Cup on Thursday night football. I do think the you know elite wide receiver here is off to a pretty incredible start. But some of those elite running backs are also off to a phenomenal kickoff to the games here. So I think they answered all the questions we had you can touch on them if you want when we go into this next portion but some of the question marks that still remain at this particular point would be around the 49ers and the bears and how those offenses will function this year i think it's a case that the weather really obviously impacted that game for people who've seen it i don't know if i've ever seen a game that actually was played on a surface that looked as close to a swimming pool as possible i seen a picture On Twitter and I don't know I can't remember who it was so I can't give the credit but they said that the the feed looked like a Van Gogh painting uh, because it was you know so all over the place with the the lines and so on but what what's your thoughts coming out of the Bears 49ers and what should we be overreacting to and what should we be kind of underreacting to we've seen Debo Samuel kind of reprise the running back role a little bit again but I also think that the the past attempts were just you know never going to get to the the region that they wanted to get based on on how the conditions were here
2: yeah you've got a couple of teams with good defenses you've got an absolute mess i think that's one that you probably do throw out and don't worry about too much if you have a lot of trillions and we do i don't think it's a positive sign by any stretch but i don't think it's a disaster you also had sort of a phantom offensive pass interference call on brandon Ayuk when he made a big play that took a, a chunk of points off of his line i do think that folks who are betting against Samuel are probably still going to lose, especially now if Elijah Mitchell has to miss some time because I mean, Debo is so dynamic in the red zone that that's going to be an issue if you go up against him in fantasy, right? And the conditions are going to be a lot more favorable for both the Bears and the 49ers in most of their games I think you have to look at it as a a mild positive for Justin Fields that after how poorly he played in the first half again in the muck that he's able to rally the team make a couple of those big plays The, the thing for me is just I mean you can know it intellectually that the Bears weapons are terrible and You can factor that into where you have the players. Obviously, Justin Fields, very inexpensive in fantasy. And at the price, I think, an interesting option. But the reason that he's so inexpensive is that he doesn't have anybody to throw to. You you watch the game today, and it just really hammers home that the Bears have the worst weapons in football by a country mile. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, for all his pouting, would not want to switch with Justin Fields right so uh, it's going to be tough for Fields to hit a super high-end outcome but we watched him run pretty effectively today and so I think that it's a positive for the Bears I wouldn't worry about it too much for the 49ers I think that they will be fine it's a little bit of a concern you know to not have Kittle you're worried for much of the offseason with the three stars that there won't be enough for all three of them but then so many of the plays in this game actually went to other players and so you, you do want to see Ayuk step up and become more involved do more of the types of things the other game that i wouldn't be that worried about and perhaps this is one of the things too i want to say about overreacting is we tend to to fall into certain mindsets about what we see in week one. If something happens in the direction that we were expecting or hoping, and then we see it like, oh yes, I was right. The flip side of it can be a little bit trickier, right? Because if you see something that you didn't want to have happen or you didn't expect to have happen, then you'll be one of two minds about it. The first thing is that generally speaking, we'll tend to ignore the things that we were wrong on and assume that those will correct. Except if we get so frustrated or feel like we were wrong by so much that then, you know, you, you almost overreact in the negative way, where it just it feels so devastating that you're like, I can't believe that I was wrong on this. I can't believe that you know I've made this mistake. And both of those can be a little bit tricky. <laughs> you want to be kind of in a happy medium when you react to the things that you were wrong about or that you didn't want to have happen. I think with the Falcons. It was very encouraging just how good they looked and how competent Marcus Mariota looked and how easily he moved the offense. Kyle Pitts didn't play well in this game. He It wasn't exactly a drop, but had a third down. He could have converted, got hit sort of after he got across the line for it. It was a borderline fumble incomplete. It was ruled incomplete. He obviously didn't make any big plays in this one. Drake London looked very good. And... The issue that we kind of ran into and the one that maybe is a bigger concern than specifically Pitt's line is just that the Falcons played pretty well on defense. They got ahead. They controlled the game. They didn't necessarily need to attack Cordero Patterson carried 22 times, which is going to happen very, very rarely. Now, Damian Williams was knocked out early in this game. The, the, companion to Patterson in the backfield, whoever that is in week two will take more of the carries. They can get the carry numbers up, right? But you see Drake London go uh, five for 74 on his seven targets. Uh, he looks like someone who's going to be an absolute monster. I think that that's going to work well for Pitts and free him up from some of the defensive attention. I think both of these guys are going to go off. But I do hope that Arthur Smith doesn't cost this team too many more games. I mean, he lost this, team, this game for – the saints now there are a couple of other he lost the game for the falcons he gave the game away to the saints there were a couple of other little things that could have happened i mean marcus Mariota, when he picked up the first down in the third quarter and they could have more or less ended the game he's down there in the red zone he needs to get down as opposed to pushing for an extra yard or two he makes that big fumble that really cost him but with eight minutes to go in the game they had a third and three at midfield and handed off Marcus Mariota was converting plays so easily he was finding his guys wide open and also out there on the edge. He can scramble for the first down. You can't hand the ball off on third and three in that situation. It has to be a situation where the quarterback has the option to throw to an open receiver or scramble himself. You know That's a big mistake. They also had the bad snap late that basically allowed the Saints to come back and win. The Saints did a nice job, right? Really competed. Michael Thomas looked completely and totally washed up for three quarters, and then he gets the two touchdowns at the end in this game if you have michael thomas i think you actually it's one of the cases again where you kind of watch these games through the lens of what you want to see or what you expect to see michael thomas had a big fantasy game but i think you have to be a little bit concerned if you have him on your roster that jarvis landry looked like far and away the best of the receivers do you expect chris olave to come on as the season progresses and that thomas looked slow sluggish and not on the same page with Seamus Winston. Now, maybe the two touchdowns at the end are what we should really be focusing on, and the fact that he was able to get open for those makes some very nice plays on those touchdowns. Those two plays were fantastic. So the the Saints didn't lay down. They came all the way back. The Lions didn't lay down. They almost came all the way back against the Eagles when the Eagles had that game won. Colm, I think that the biggest takeaways, big picture from week one Really have to be the Chiefs and the Bills. That was the next question. Have the I mean, questions been answered? These are the two best teams in football. And there's not a third team that's anywhere close. Right? I mean, there's there, there's a golf the size of the Grand Canyon between the Chiefs and the Bills and everybody else. You have the three best teams from the NFC from last season losing in week one. Two of the three lost to bad teams. You have the Bengals losing a game to the Pittsburgh Steelers where the Steelers were essentially
1: starting a JV quarterback. That was a weird game. Very, very strange a, game.
2: It was It was a very strange game. It was like the first month of the season last year.
1: You mentioned this on the the shows before week one. Would there, Because they didn't have a preseason, would we see some kind of messy situations? We've seen that across a lot of games. And this here was a kind of... But even even the interceptions from Borough and this, Borough had four interceptions. The way the game played out was just very bizarre. But the the Steelers get out to that lead at the start and they kind of maintain that all the way through. But this game they continued to, to descend into chaos and in overtime with the, the kicking chaos that preceded... It reminded me a little bit of the... Pa- I think it was the Packers and Bengals, maybe last year or the season before, where <laughs> they just were missing kicks all over the place. So That's the game are, I brought up. Uh,
2: to the people I was watching with was when McPherson and Crosby were going back and forth, missing kicks at the end of the game and in an overtime last year, at least in this game, the Bengals have the excuse of the snapper situation that really cost them. Yeah. I mean, you have that many turnovers and you can't snap the ball to your kicker and they still should have won
1: yeah exactly you get chase catching the the touchdown at the very very end and then the like i I was watching the coverage and the commentators were like yeah this is over like basically mcpherson had almost built the reputation of justin tucker point you know 2.0 that he does not miss he is you know ice cold veins they were joking about you know should they try and ice the kicker and they were saying they should be trying to ice the snapper rather than the kicker with how things were going they missed that kicker it's blocked and yeah, just just chaos. Even with as many mistakes as they made, you know, they they still could have and should have won it at the very end. Yeah, I, I mean, this is kind of a situation
2: where, I, I can't imagine there was any consideration of going to Kenny Pickett, but, I mean, the Steelers needed to in the game. They need to going into week two. Mitchell Trubisky cannot move the team. You can't play that way on defense and still almost lose the game, right? You have to have a competent offense in there. You might as well let your quarterback develop. I, I just, I don't understand what they're doing there in the same way that, you know, we've kind of talked about Rodgers' insistence on the veteran wide receivers. It doesn't It doesn't help you get to where you need to be for the season. The Now the Steelers obviously suffer a devastating injury on defense, but I mean, this is a team that outside of the quarterback position is a Super Bowl contender why are you not getting the quarterback whom you drafted in the first round who looked good in the preseason and who perhaps there's a situation where just having one month to not have that pressure and to get used to how NFL games go. I mean, we, we do the commentary from the couch, which everything is very easy from the couch. I mean, my experience coaching Division II college tennis, which was just absolutely phenomenal. I loved it. Great interaction with the players. One of the things that you find when you coach relate really at any level, not any level, little kids sports should be recreational. They should not be something that you're investing in the wins and losses. But where we were, even with basically no you know, money involved, no spectators, all that kind of thing, the level of intensity is incredibly high. And the competitiveness, the desire to win the things that you know, people do. When you're a player in all of these situations, you always feel like the coaches should be doing this, that, or the other thing. When you're the coach, (laughs) you always feel like the players should be doing this, that or the other thing. You find out very quickly when you do coach for a bit just how little control over certain things that you have. And yet, at the same time, how much of accountability you have for things. Basically, I bring all of that up to say that, and the coaches do have insights that fans obviously don't have. And so maybe that all makes sense. But I'm hoping for the sake of Deontay Johnson and... You know anybody else? Do you think is playable? I don't think that Chase Claypool and George Pickens are really relevant fantasy players right now. I think that if you have them in your lineups, when I mean, there are issues with the build of that team for the early part of the season, Friar Muth and Johnson are the guys you can play. Obviously, only Fryar was viable today. But Kenny Pickett needs to get out there for that. The Bengals are so frustrating. They look like the Bengals for the first month of last season. I watched that game and kind of watch the Chiefs game later against a good Cardinals team, even with all the pieces they're missing, a good Cardinals team, I could not figure out for the life of me how the Chiefs had managed to lose those two games at the end of last season, specifically and most importantly, the AFC Championship game. There's just no comparison between where the Chiefs are and where the Bengals are. So that part was frustrating, but also exciting. So we saw today, I think that probably at least a few listeners Felt like I was looking at the Chiefs through rose-colored glasses to say that they would benefit from trading Tyreek Hill. One game doesn't answer that question. But I mean, they scored at will today. They put the backups in, continue to score at will. It's always possible that you'll get a month into the season and the takeaway will be: well, the Arizona Cardinals defense is terrible. That's a possibility. But they go out on the road and and score at will, and they've got guys open everywhere. And Patrick Mahomes can almost do no wrong. Now he did miss Nicole Hardman deep on the type of play that Tyreek Hill really criticized him for in the offseason and, and explained how Tua was a lot better, <laughs> which is a hilarious comment to make, even if you're trying to, to promote your podcast. So there was the one miss, but they score it well. Colin, I know this has been a rough opening week for you, but I do want to point out again that the Chiefs lose Tyreek Hill and if anything look better than ever Devonte adams goes to the las vegas raiders and has an absolutely monstrous game
1: i thought this was going to be to make me feel better but it seems to be not Continue. well <laughs> i i just i didn't understand the balloting for mvp
2: the last two years i don't feel like we're at any risk of aaron Rodgers winning a third consecutive mvp but if we look at how the relationship of the different players in these groups, it's not, there's, there's no situation here where Aaron Rodgers is not good and that he's not going to pull the Packers together. And then they're not going to have a solid season, but you do have to worry about this today, right? He makes that beautiful throw in the first play, Christian Watson drops it. And I don't think it's just being a little bit of an Aaron Rodgers skeptic to say that like his body language is terrible and his level of competitiveness is not good. And you've got the back to back MVP who did not play well in their playoff losses and goes out there in week one this year after doing a a lot of things in the last several off seasons to be a terrible leader and doesn't compete, right? You you don't have to play well, but you have to lead your teammates and you have to compete. I mean, when Romeo Dobbs is, is going around trying to get people fired up and is trying to encourage Aaron Rodgers, that's not the way that it should be if you're a two-time defending mvp and like a 40-year-old <laughs> you shouldn't have to have this guy just out of college trying to get the team to go it's ridiculous
1: i'll I'll agree with uh, certain parts I'll disagree with others I, I don't have an issue with the mvp voting over the the last two seasons i think that you know may, maybe he comes second in certain situations but i think he was definitely a top 3 player in those scenarios but I will also agree that when it gets into situations with Rodgers if they are falling behind particularly on games on the road I do feel that it's a case sometimes where he's just like our scheme today our game plan today was not good and like it can be the first quarter and it's like no or it can be like that one play to Watson yesterday was that was where we needed to hit that play to give us a chance. I remember back to last year they lost in week one 38-3 to the Saints in a game where it wasn't even in New Orleans it was moved I believe it was in Jacksonville they ended up playing that game but there is situations where the game gets out of control and a bit like even the playoff game last year against the the 49ers when the adversity hits I feel like sometimes Rodgers is quick to decide to pack, pack his bags but I do think that when we're looking at overreactions to week one I think that the Packers have struggled a little bit playing in Minnesota in recent years. They've struggled big time against Justin Jefferson, which I didn't think would be a case yesterday with having Jair Alexander back, for example. But they moved Jefferson around so much yesterday. And if you look at the overall play off the Vikings, outside of Justin Jefferson, not a huge amount happened. The Packers were down early in that game, and they still, even in the fourth quarter, while they were out of it, there was still a chance that they could have come back into it. And... um I think we'll see that balance out. Where I do agree 100% with you is it's not going to happen with the the veterans here. We've talked about this all offseason and they need to go to those young guys. But the tricky part of going to those young guys is when you're trying to build that rapport with somebody who has missed quite a chunk of the preseason and and Christian Watson and then you have that big play where that is 100% a touchdown if he makes what should be a fairly routine catch. It it was a case that, I don't know if the sun got in his eyes or, or what happened, but that was a big play, which really changes the complexion of that game at that point. So, don't disagree on the the leadership side. That's always going to be part of. I think Aaron Rodgers stuff, and, and Sean loves to get those shots. And I, I was hoping there was going to be a, a silver lining there, but there there wasn't. Some other notes. AJ Dylan looked absolutely fantastic. Yeah,
2: Romeo Dobbs looked good. I the weird thing to me was on that final drive where they really. Still had an outside chance. They were down 16. He didn't play a lot on that drive, which was weird. And he wasn't injured. He came in at the end of it for a snap or two. They did run into another play where Watson seemed to not execute a wide receiver screen properly, but also Randall Cobb, who Aaron Rodgers insists on the team and is out there, missed the block. So you're like, maybe if you don't have a guy who was done four years
1: ago out there trying to make the block, then Watson would have been able to make that catch and run upfield for the score or something like that. Yeah, you mentioned Dylan as well. And there's a lot of question marks around the NFL with some of the play calling. Even this week, you can see the differences in the haves and have-nots of the coaches who are going to take those chances you know, in those short-down situations across midfield. For example, the Packers went for it in that game with Dylan on fourth down, but got stopped. That was a situation, I believe it was 7 0 at the time. And then, like, you know, a couple of big plays to Justin Jefferson, and it ended up being 14 0. And in the moment, 100%, you go for that. And if it happens again, I hope that the floor will go for it again. But that was a situation again where you have the big drop, you go for it there, you don't get it. There's a, a couple of situations where lots of uh, points, unfortunately, on a different day go in. And the Packers have actually struggled quite a bit in the red zone over the last two seasons. And that happened again yesterday when they eventually got into that. But there was a lot of disjointedness in the offense. And I think, hopefully, I'm hoping part of that is, is working out those kind of preseason kinks that you, you don't get when the players don't play in preseason. The other thing I wanted to mention, you mentioned uh, Deontay Johnson, the reports also with Kenny Pickett coming out yesterday before the game that you know the Steelers were hoping that maybe they set him the whole season. We don't want that to happen. We want to get him in there as soon as we can. Deontay Johnson... Throughout the game, wasn't getting a lot of work, obviously, but had an absolutely incredible catch when it came to the end or kind of an overtime. Amazing play by him. So we had the concerns maybe coming in throughout the week. Last week, of the shoulder didn't seem to actually bother him in the game. Uh, just the quarterback play seemed to bother him a little bit more. You mentioned the Chiefs as well. When we look at the Chiefs, we have Juju Smith-Schuster looking very good. We have Clyde Edwards-Helaire getting two touchdowns. We had Pacheco getting a touchdown. A lot of our questions heading in was around chiefs wide receivers and how that would play out in terms of the pecking order and also the running backs and then obviously we thought Ronald Jones would be an he was in this one the things that we thought that may have went in a situation where it didn't work out for Edward Lair and then we could see Ronald Jones you know working his way into the picture relatively soon that didn't seem to happen how did you think the pecking order for both chiefs wide receivers and running backs looks after this is it kind of not much has changed. Is there a clear ascension of juju to wide receiver one here? What's your thoughts?
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's going to be the guy who, if there is volume at receiver, I think it will go to him. He didn't have a fantastic game, but he demonstrated what the value of being there with Mahomes can be. If he's the guy who scores a touchdown instead of Nicole Hardman, who again really does just establish himself as someone who is is not involved, then you look at this a lot differently. You have the six targets, but only three catches, 16 yards, one touchdown for Hardman. So if you played him, it wasn't a disaster, but you're not going to get that touchdown consistently. Valdez scantly catches all four of his targets for 44 yards. Juju catches six of eight. I still think it's going to be Sky Moore. Now, he didn't play nearly as much as you would like. He has the one target that goes for 30 yards. I think that by midseason, he's going to be the number one here. So he's still the player that I am most excited to have. Obviously, if you have Travis Kelsey, then you know that's a great situation for you as well. He goes 8-121 and one for the three kind of big tight ends there in the first two rounds. It's a good opening game for him. Basically, what happened here is the offense was so effective, so efficient that defenses couldn't key on him it may turn out to be even more difficult to key on him this season i do think that with all the firepower they have that at the end of the year his target numbers will be a little bit down but it was cool to see him have a big game even though i have a extremely high ranking on kyle pitts travis kelsey's still up there ahead of most of the rest of the running backs who are being drafted in that range and he came through here Basically, the first round guys did what their drafters would hope in this one. The person who probably is a little bit controversial would be, well, the the two guys who have offenses that can light the world on fire, but they themselves didn't blow up in week one, Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook. It'll be interesting to watch how the first month develops with them Eckler, somebody now, I do think that if we just redrafted after today, would have to be at the 1-2 turn instead of in the middle. He came out on a huge number of plays in this game, including during the time period where the Chargers were needing to salt the game away. I mean, this is a game that the Chargers appeared to be in control of, but the Raiders came back and had a real shot at it, especially in the absence of Keenan Allen, who pulls his hamstring relatively early. The fact that Eckler was out on so many plays, the fact that Mike Williams was a ghost and that Justin Herbert was playing through DeAndre Carter, I mean, that part of it is kind of crazy. I don't think a great sign for Mike Williams. I don't think a great sign for the overall offense that they had Eckler on the bench so much. Now, it's not necessarily unexpected because this is something that, Eckler himself said that he wanted and he expected to have happen. Fantasy managers didn't give a lot of credence to that. And I think that he's still going to be someone who doesn't kill you because anybody you drafted in the first round, if they play like a second round pick and the rest of your team is good, then you should be in the mix. But when you're looking at Eckler and contrasting him with, you know, what Saquon Barkley did, what, what DeAndre Swift did, what, what the receivers who were being drafted in the same range, you contrast it You know with Jamar Chase, and then some of the guys who went in the second half of the first round with Stephon Diggs, with Devontae Adams. It already looks like it's going to be very difficult for him to compete with those guys. And that's the reason that we didn't really have him as a target. I don't want to say after one game, that we were right on that by any stretch. He is too good, and the Chargers are too good for it to be something where it's like, oh, you shouldn't have drafted him. Because the 14 carries just goes for 36 yards. He has the four receptions, also going for 36 yards. In week one last season, he was not very heavily targeted, and yet scores in close. But then as the season progresses, obviously he becomes a massive weapon in the passing game. I think we'll see him more involved, but I, I wouldn't have expected Josh Kelly and Sonny Michelle to be as involved as they were in this game.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit concerning. And you think like, you know, a team who has playoff aspirations, you might be like, well, it's a long season. They want to keep these players fresh as the season goes. But when you're playing against a division rival where the game isn't out of touch, like you said, it's a little bit uh, concerning that he wasn't an in- More than he was, and particularly wasn't used as much in the passing game as you might have liked. John, we're going to run through some rapid fire notes now, and then I'm going to get a little bit of fun here with a rapid fire segment here to end the show. But players who were out yesterday JK Dobbins was out, obviously, Rondell Moore was out with his injury. Um, Then we had Trey McBride, who was an inactive, which obviously disappointed me. We had Rojo, who was an inactive, who we kind of thought was going to happen. And we had injuries you mentioned Keenan Allen his hamstring we had T Higgins in the first half with the concussion protocol Wandel Robinson picked up an injury which is very very disappointing Dak Prescott obviously has picked up an injury looks like he's going to have hand surgery as we record this so a lot of just dis- and that's only to touch on the surface but we talked about the preseason players being wrapped in cottonwood that cottonwood came off and unfortunately that led to star players picking up injuries so hopefully um Those recoveries are quite, you know, successful, but um, yeah, disappointing to see those injuries happen. But Sean, moving into the rapid fire, I'm going to, I'll let you add a sentence to each of these because we are going to try and get out of here pretty quick. But basically, if we're right to overreact or if we should be patient, it was only one week. So we have Kyle Pitts. I think with Pitts, you have to be patient. The
2: Falcons looked fantastic. There are only a small handful of tight ends that give you any field tilting value he's going to be one of
1: them yeah and it can feel like you know obviously we have pets who we drafted uh P- sorry pets we drafted pets over kelsey in a couple of the leagues over the last week or so and that can feel like a very rapid reaction to kelsey has a good game Pitts doesn't have a big game but this is a uh, obviously a season-long play and we're we're willing to have patience here with the the second year tight end mike williams I think, obviously, the Keaton Allen injury that I mentioned a moment ago may benefit him. You mentioned that he was a ghost. There wasn't a huge amount happening. In that game, we should mention Gerald Everett also did catch a touchdown, which would be good news, hopefully, because I know a lot of our listeners have, have drafted him. But a lot of that game on True Carter, now with Allen likely out a couple of weeks, concerned about Williams, or was that just kind of a, a weird situation? Yeah, I'm concerned. I, he, he's got to play better than that. So <laughs> the, it, Can't play much worse. <laughs>
2: well you have to be a volume wide receiver as the co number one in that offense some of the passes that justin herbert threw in that game are absolutely insane his arm is incredible if you're mike williams and you can't benefit from that then uh, you know you're not an above average player
1: yeah we mentioned saquon barkley look great justin jefferson look great i think we know that overreact to those guys because they are absolutely elite talent brees hall kind of as we probably expected you know a a split in the backfield and week one based on the reports probably actually maybe getting a little bit more than reports had suggested but uh, i think it was as expected i think patience is the key here with, with Hall. yeah i haven't had a chance to finish the second half of raven's
2: jets the first half was not quite to the extent of the 49ers bears but it was gross the weather was terrible i don't think that you can tell very much From that, Joe Flacco looked absolutely awful. Which I mean, if you're a Jets fan or someone who's drafted a lot of Jets, you're hoping that's not going to be the case. You're hoping that the these reports out of practice that, oh, you know, he looks like he did when he won the Super Bowl. And the insinuation that Zach Wilson is more or less healthy, but they're just going to go with Joe Flacco to try and give themselves a chance to win. You know, you're thinking, okay, well, I can get behind that. Why not? Be a true believer. All you have to do is watch him play a couple of plays. And <laughs> you're like, if the if the Jets are out on Zach Wilson, they need to trade for one of these <laughs> QBs who's available. I mean, the commanders win today. Maybe Sam Howell, you can go out and get, you, you can't play Joe Flacco. So I, I don't think this is a game where you could really evaluate the players. As you mentioned, the, through the part I saw, Hall looked
1: good, played a little bit more than
2: expected. Obviously, Michael Carter, maybe one of the very small bright spots for the Jets in that game.
1: Yeah, and the other part of that on the the opposite side, Lamar Jackson throwing the ball looked quite good, even in those conditions. Bitman with the the deep touchdown as well. So, I'm hoping that they continue to to let him take those shots downfield throughout the entire season, and he looked pretty confident after turning down that quite large contract uh, over the last couple of days. But we move. Yeah, on I mean, then. he made a, he made a couple of not so great throws too. But again,
2: also the weather was was terrible. The interesting thing about this game is that the Ravens weren't able to run the ball at all. Kenyon Drake is also just not a good player, right? They don't have they don't have running back talent outside of JK. Dobbins. Yeah. If they want to go back to the way that their offense ran before, then it has to be through Dobbins. I don't necessarily think that they will anyway because they do have Lamar Jackson doing the things that you just mentioned, Devin DuVernay with a couple of touchdowns in this game. Anybody who kind of layered him into the back end of their best ball drafts through one week, you've got to be ecstatic about that. We have not a lot of Rashad Bateman just because he's in that range where it was expensive, and you have some other options. So in terms of our actual teams, it can go either way. We don't have to have him smash, but we were higher than the consensus on him or within having him about at ADP, we were enthusiastic that he could still beat ADP. It wasn't a fantastic game for him either. You mentioned the long touchdown. But I think that the way that this Baltimore Ravens offense is going to play is going to end up being very good for both him and Mark Andrews.
1: Yeah. And I think you're always going to have that deal with Jackson anyway. There's going to be some of those head-scratching throws, but there's going to be some of those big plays as well. And the rushing ability is, is going to be through the roof. Dontrell Hilliard for the, the Tennessee Titans had two touchdowns. Maybe somebody to continue to, to watch here will be looking forward to the zero RB list during the week. Jahan Dodson, who Sean has mentioned numerous times over the last kind of six to eight weeks, two touchdowns for him in his first game as a rookie. CD Lamb, we touched on earlier, not a lot happening in that game. But you also said, I can't remember the quote you said there, but it wasn't good <laughs> when you talked about Lamb. Overreaction, I think what you said was he wouldn't be drafted a... Uh, where he was drafted, he was overdrafted based on what we thought a week ago. uh CD Lamb, concerned or be patient. Now he has Cooper Rush's quarterback as well, which isn't good. I don't even know if that's a huge deal. Dak Prescott looks terrible, right?
2: And when everything was favorable for Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott, when the offensive line is blowing the defense seven yards off the ball, when there is this abundance. Of weapons those guys look like borderline stars when you have to actually play through some adversity like they did today they look awful and I think that if you don't have the injury if you're playing against maybe a little bit weaker opponent then things probably look different but Lamb was one of those guys where we felt like the combination of potentially elite talent and massive (laughs) likely volume right because they don't have anybody else that there was the potential for him to take a big step forward there he did the exact opposite wasn't exactly getting open when he did get open he dropped passes you can't completely give up and if you have him on a dynasty roster you're not going to sell him for free this week but i am going to put him out there and say anybody who wants to make a fair offer anybody who wants to get some lamb shares if you're willing to to make a fair deal i i will move him at this point point. I think that we have to be skeptical about who he is and it's not that he's going to like somehow fall out of the league or he's not going to be a starting wide receiver, but you contrast his performance with so many of the star players this week. You, you just can't afford to sit back and overlook the fact that he's
1: just not on the same level that they are talent wise. And then two more players to head on. One is Devonte Smith. Obviously the Eagles put up a, a lot of points Devontae didn't put up a lot of points. What's your instant reaction to Devontae Smith?
2: Yeah, I think that this one can be be both. Basically, it's not what you wanted to see at all. And I don't think that you should ignore that it's not what you wanted to see. But with Smith, we do have this great track record of him being a star of the last three years, including last season, where he did everything that a top 10 pick is supposed to do in his rookie year. He had a kind of bad drop early in this game. They do have A.J. Brown, who, you know, I, when you have games like the game that Cooper Cup had, that Justin Jefferson had, that Jamar Chase had, that Devonte Adams had, that Stephon Diggs had, I mean, you can't just say, oh, A.J. Brown looked like the best wide receiver in the NFL because there's some pretty stiff competition. But, man, I, he looked – he looked like the kind of force that we haven't seen at the receiver position in a long time in terms of the way that he's doing it. Now you don't necessarily get style points. It doesn't necessarily matter that he's doing it that way. Just like it doesn't matter that Derrick Henry looks like a freight train when he gets to the second level, what matters with Derrick Henry during that stretch that he's had for the last three years, didn't really have it today, obviously, but it is the points and the actual production but it is cool that A.J. Brown just, you know, he's good before the catch. He's good after the catch. You can't, there, there's no way to defend him at the line of scrimmage. There's no way to defend him down the field after he's caught the ball. If yeah, This is one of those kind of rare situations where I do think that he is so good that it could, could cause a problem for Smith, even with how good Smith is. I mean, again, Smith is a very recent <laughs> top 10 pick Heisman Trophy winner, all of those kinds of things. I think it's going to work out. The thing that was encouraging today is just how good the Eagles look. My notes here to you and, and what I would ask you. I mean, obviously they're the favorite in the NFC East, the rest of the NFC East is not going to be good. Despite the fact of the commanders and the giants win today, it was a great win for the giants. Them going for two at the end of that game was one of the coolest points in the entire weekend. I was so happy for Brian Dable. So happy for, Saquon Barkley. We we look at that really long run that Barkley made. We look at the touchdown that he scored, but the two point conversion. Oh yeah. Not, I mean, it, it won the game, but it was also just this epic effort where he
1: demonstrated a combination of. It's the, cut. La- the biggest thing I noticed with him was the, the way he could cut. He didn't have that last year.
2: Yeah. The lateral agility at yeah, that size. About. And then the power, so the lateral agility to make the first guy miss and to get in the open and the power to drive through the second player. Just just incredible. It was an amazing play. It was so cool that they won that game. I think you've got to be happy for them. You've got to be happy for Daniel Jones, who more or less played poorly, but hit that long pass to Sterling Shepard that got them back in that game. Right? When you have one play out there that you really need to make and you make it that's that's how you win NFL games because the teams for the most part, you know, again outside of the Chiefs and Bills, that there aren't these massive talent gaps. So you're looking at the star quarterbacks and then you're looking at who made the plays that Sunday. And Daniel Jones made that huge play, Saquon Barkley made plays, the Giants win. I mean, the Cowboys could be looking at the seller, but NFC East favorite, obviously, for the Eagles, but the fact that the Packers were, were awful i mean they were awful and the nfc west was the other division in football in addition to the afc west that we said this is the power division but the three good teams in that division now have already lost the eagles yeah they let, let the game slide a little bit at the end but this is maybe just the again I'm a huge chiefs fan, a huge lions fan, a huge Cardinals fan. I've lived all three of those places I currently live in Arizona. Listeners know that. And I, this isn't a podcast at all where we're trying to pretend that we're neutral on the players and the teams as commentators. That's, that's not the perspective that we come at it from. I love the lions. I love their current coaching staff. I thought one of the best, storylines of last year was how well they fought in games in the second half when they were down. Unfortunately, they had all these crazy losses at the end. This is another very close loss. I think the lions are good. And I think the fact that the Eagles put it on them through most of the game and then did hold on to win. I think the fact that Jalen hurts demonstrated that hybrid ability. I think the fact that they attacked, but yet were also still able to run the ball very effectively. I think you at least have to put the Eagles in the conversation to be the NFC favorites, would you agree?
1: I think they're definitely in the mix. I think they're in the top five. I think with the Eagles, there's going to be games where they they will have struggles as well. I think this game set up pretty pretty nicely. I think for me, they're in the the top three to five teams, and I think they're in with a a big chase here. I just they're going to win that division, and I think now with the Prescott injury, they're going to win that division very very comfortably so that puts them into the mix then obviously to potentially go towards that number one seed which i think a team like the eagles could really really benefit from any team's going to benefit from it i think the packers will bounce back from this week i think the 49ers will bounce back again that the weather conditions were a bit of a anomaly there i don't think the buccaneers were as good as maybe people were expecting but again it is it is week one I think the AFC we have the two powerhouses, like you mentioned, uh, and the Chiefs and the Bills. I think with the opposite side and the NFC, I think we're going to see a situation this year where it's going to be a bit closer when it comes to the end of season standings than it than it has been the last couple of years, with a clear one or two teams out in the in front. I think we're going to see a kind of mix of four to five teams in the the mix for those top seeds come the end of the season. Um, but yeah, fun fun game from the Eagles. Gets off to as good a start as we probably could have hoped for for A.J. Brown in Philadelphia. So let's see what happens. Sean, any final, final thoughts before we wrap up here on NFL Week 1, other than Aaron Rodgers isn't your favorite player? Well, you mentioned that they had the really rough Week
2: 1 last year and came back from it very strong. They have a, a good team top to bottom, and they will be good. The Patriots had some fluky things happen today where they made some uncharacteristic turnovers. They had the situation where Devonte Parker was, I mean, he, he did a lousy job fighting for the ball, but was also being interfered with. One of the things that we saw again today, I, it, we, we all bring our own perspectives to watching the games, to talking about the games. A, a pet peeve for me, which I think is something that we were asked on one of our non football shows that I don't think that we have recorded yet released. was, was about pet peeves. Yeah. And I don't think that I had any, <laughs> generally speaking, I mean, things don't tend to bother me at least small things, but I, I now have a good answer, which is that, it drives me crazy when the commentators talk about how hard it is to play defense. When you watch the defenders hold and commit pass interference on every single play. And then as soon as an offensive player tries to knock the defender's hands away from holding him throughout his entire route, they call offensive pass interference. So that would be, that would be a pet peeve of mine. Devontae Parker obviously being interfered with, when he is targeted in the end zone early in that game, the ball batted up in the air and intercepted. So fluky things happen there. I'm excited to see the Dolphins play over the next month. Tua looked pretty good today. Tyreek Hill got open at will, more or less like you would expect. Their running game floundered. Jalen Waddle, still a little bit of an enigma. We have a lot of him. He had a good fantasy game. He looked fast, but one thing that you can do, and it'll be misleading. You want to think in terms of these games, if you remove the best play that a player had, think about it kind of both ways. Now that could be very misleading because the best play from the best players is going to be an impact play. That is one of the reasons that you want them. So anytime that you read some analysis from someone, we're like, well, this guy had 370-yard touchdown runs. You remove those and he was average. And you're like, I mean, how many players <laughs> could have 370-yard touchdown runs? That's very relevant. You don't remove that from the equation. One of the things that you will hear from time to time about DeAndre Swift is that he doesn't break a lot of tackles, doesn't have these amazing numbers in terms of yards after contact. So yeah, well, that doesn't matter, right? Because the other <laughs> yards count too. If you get through the hole and don't have to run over everybody like a David Montgomery has to. And that's not to take a specific shot of David Montgomery, who I think has rounded into a very nice NFL player. So you don't take those plays away, but you do want to kind of think it through both lenses. Is it a tiny little bit of a concern that if Jalen Waddell doesn't catch that 47-yard touchdown, we're looking at him after week one and saying, well tyreek hill had all those targets he looked pretty good the passing game ran through him is it going to be the same situation that we have or appear to have with the eagles where this new ultra alpha is going to take all of the targets so waddle top 10 pick superstar as a rookie blazing speed that allows you to get the 47 yard touchdown almost no other receiver in the nfl would have made that play the Patriots more or less had him surrounded at the catch point, And then the afterburners beat them. Hopefully he'll be more involved from a pure volume basis as we go forward. And the Miami Dolphins will be a really cool team to watch.
1: Let's hope so. And Sean, you mentioned pet peeves, my pet peeve for the weekend of action in the games was commentators. You mentioned commentators, commentators talking about, you know, getting the run going, need to, you know, move the line physicality, you know, Get that macho ness out there um we don't need that we don't need that let's let's just come you're a a
2: former like semi-pro tight end the tight end is the the physical
1: yeah it's a physical but you want to catch the ball too like you know you you gotta establish yeah those guys the testosterone running through some of the commentary teams must be incredible you and mike is sick you need to get out there and lay some blocks so you can get some snaps and i know that the i think it was the lions game that really was tipping me over the edge the lions at that that point were well behind was coming up to halftime and they're like you need to run the ball you don't want to give the ball back to the, the eagles here and give them another score and like it's like well you need to score points if you want to try and win the game rather than just like run out the clock but yeah establish it every single time that you can but Sean, that's going to bring us to the end of today's show. It was fun. We were planning to keep this to 30 minutes. We're at 57 minutes. So hopefully the listeners are going to enjoy it. We're going to see how this format goes. We may keep this going each and every week. We'll we'll keep you updated as the episodes go throughout the week. But thank you for tuning in. Hopefully you enjoyed week one. We still have Monday Night Football to go. Good luck in your fantasy football matchups. My name is Colin Kelly. You can follow me on Twitter at To Martin. And I'm joined by Sean Siegel. Check out all of Sean's work up on rotaviz.com. Lots of stuff coming this week. Check that out. And until we are back on Thursday, happy new one. Thank you for listening to Overtime on Rotoviz Radio. Please rate and review the Rotoviz Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us via email at rotovisradio at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rotovis Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz with a discount through the Radio homepage, rotaviz.com, forward slash podcast.